You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a free 50% match with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me tonight, Will Miles, co-host here of Gators Breakdown. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and the site readandreaction.com. And Will, we won't bury the lead any longer. If everybody's watching on YouTube, you can already see the third window up here. Mr. Bill Sykes is joining us here once again on Gators Breakdown. Will, it's, uh, it's, good, it's good to have that face here on Gators Breakdown. Yeah, it seems like only yesterday we were getting together at like two in the morning to detail Dan Mullen coming in as the head coach because Bill's working third or second shift, I guess. We had to catch him coming off of that shift. And, uh, you know, now we got Mullen leading the Gators 63 points against Arkansas. And, uh, you know, yeah, so it's good to have you back, man. We, we uh, y- you bailed and all of a sudden everything got better. So we're blaming you if, uh, if, if, things, if things go downhill from here. Well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time somebody's blaming me. <laughs> it's good to be back under these terms. It's good to be back on the show with you guys in, in Dan Mullen 2020. Uh, for all the 2020 has been, the football's been pretty good for Gator fans. And I'm, I'm glad to be back on here talking about it with you guys. Bill, what have you been up to? I think, uh, I mean, Will and I know. We talked to you behind the scenes a whole lot anyway. But uh, let our listeners, Gators Breakdown listeners, know what you've been up to these last uh, – Heck, it's probably been about a year or so since you've been on, somewhere around there. Well, you know, I moved back to Florida uh, right about the time I was kind of distancing from the podcasting bit. And, uh, you know, now that I've been back, I've just been kind of spending more time with family. And, uh, a lot of change going on in life for the better. And uh, Spending time with kids, doing a lot of fishing, a lot of cooking barbecue, having friends that were just reconnecting with guys that I hadn't seen in years. You know, after so long away, it's just it's been good to have my feet on Florida soil again and kind of enjoy all that that's that's been for us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. A lot of fishing. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's COVID crazy happened back in, in March? I think we went out maybe 50, 60 times uh, since then. Just, you know, I live right here uh, by the St. John system. And uh, it was like when the kids were out of school and, you know, if, if I was uh, off of work, we would grab the cast nets, go catch shrimp and then go float them and see what happened, you know, and uh, we had a lot of fun. It was good times. Yeah, both of you guys. Yeah, that was a dominant performance Saturday night uh, from Florida. 63 points in an SEC game, and now it just kind of seems 
kind of just seems normal <laughs> that we should go out there and, and see this offense putting up uh, yards and passing yards and explosion and uh, all that without the heck this one without their the, the best player of offense there. Well, I don't want to say best player, but you know Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, you know, kind of neck and neck there. But I mean, now it's just become now now, now you just expect to tune in and, and, and watch these fireworks, Will. Yeah, it's been crazy to to think that they scored 28 points in the second quarter against Arkansas, 24 against Georgia. And I bet if you went back and looked at the McElwain, Nussmeyer, you know, must-champ regimes, they probably didn't score 28 points in any two-quarter sets for any of the, over, over that particular regime. Certainly, there were a lot of games where the entire game was under 28 points. And to just put that up in a quarter and for it to seem routine, right? I mean, they get they get the ball back. I think they scored with like five, you know, four or five minutes left. You're like, oh, well, if the defense can get a stop, we'll have a shot for one more. And sure enough, they get a stop, they get the ball back, drive right back, right down the field, and trash is just throwing darts. So um, it, it's a new era in Gator football, a lot like the old era, really. I mean, you know, from a fun and gun perspective, and you know, this offense is is as explosive, if not more more explosive than that 08 offense. So it, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's certainly what Gator fans have come to expect over the years. And you know, Mullen's doing a great job getting the best out of the personnel he's got on the field. Yeah, before we go further, I put this tweet out right before we went live there. Florida has scored on their last possession of the first half in every game but Missouri. I mean, they're going into halftime with being on fire. Well, I mean, and they've also been coming out of halftime on fire. There have been multiple games where they've gone in on a touchdown, come out with a touchdown, and all of a sudden, you know, a game that was maybe three points or seven points in terms of the difference is now 21, and the, and the opposition is playing catch-up. The only time that didn't work was against Texas A&M. I think they came out and scored a touchdown to start the second half mm-hmm. against A&M, and then A&M was able to come back. But everybody else, they've just basically been able to bury in that second quarter, sort of first drive or two of the third quarter. And to be honest, the games have been kind of anticlimactic, where you're sitting there going, all right, let's just run up the clock and, and and see this game end. But, you know, very solid performance from the overall team, but obviously just a fantastic performance by Trask. Um, sort of what we've been waiting for from a Florida quarterback ever since Tim Tebow left. And, and we're finally getting it from a guy who, you know, couldn't beat out Felipe Franks and then comes into this game. And, and you know, Franks actually played pretty well, but Trask was just sort of was just so heads and heads and shoulders above everybody out there that it, that it just sort of made made Franks kind of fade into the background. Yeah, Bill, we talked about I talked about that with Graham on the podcast yesterday. This Florida offense puts so much pressure on the opposing offense. And that's the that's the thing. That's that's where this defense can benefit a bit is offenses are going to have to get desperate because of the Florida offense. Dave, I, let me just put it to you these terms. I have been a a Florida football geek and a fanatic since the mid nineties anyway. You know, when when Spurrier was in full swing, uh, maybe even early 90s. And I can tell you in just about all about it, just about every scholarship player that's been through Gainesville since then. I think it was week three. And I I kid you not, I think it was week three this year before I knew who the punter was. Okay. Like, (laughs) I literally, it dawned on me. I was like, I have no idea who's punting this year because I hadn't seen it. I mean, this is unreal. I mean, Will, you were talking about some of these numbers that, that Trask is putting up. He's got, what, 28 touchdowns now through six games? The best total we saw between 2010 and 2017 from any single-gator quarterback was 12, and they only did that once. I mean, that's unreal. There's several year combinations where you could say that he has already in six games eclipsed multi-year combos of gator passing touchdowns for the whole year and the whole team, not just the starter. I mean, it's unreal the turnaround we've seen in the offense. And 
man, it, it couldn't be more fun. I mean, one other little anecdote is that, you know, hey, listen, I, I raised uh, my kids for the, the first seven years of my youngest and of their lives in Georgia. And it's been a little bit of a struggle. You know, Georgia's been up and, and my son's got the football bug. And there's been times when he's been like, man, you know, I love Gators, and but I, I want to see what Georgia's doing. But since Trask has shown up and done what he's done, it, it's provided that moment for him now where that, that love of the Gators has kind of entrenched itself. And it's just neat to see him. And he, he'll come up and be like, hey, Dad, you think Grimes is going to be the top guy this year? You know, and, and uh, it's just been unreal, man. It's It's been great. Well, so Kyle Trask is responsible for Bill Sykes sending his son to college instead of making him pay for it by himself <laughs> is, is the message that we're getting here. Hey, my son's an athlete, man. He might be able to do it. <laughs> well, what's, we'll, start, what's our ranking really be, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. we gotta see what the, we got to see how he does it kind of like. <laughs> but I'll be proud of him no matter what. <laughs> All right, we'll get it. Yeah, plenty of talk here. Uh, we'll get into uh, all the talk of Trask Heisman run that should be upcoming. It's time. Look, it's time to ramp that up. You know, whether it whether it's Florida, whether it's the fan base. I mean, the fan base has been doing it pretty good anyway. But uh, I think you know, with, with the lack of national Heisman talk we've seen from Kyle Trask, the fan base has ramped it up, and I think uh, it's only going to be a chain reaction. <laughs> I think so. Uh, we'll, we'll see it come around, and then we'll we'll get into Bill's latest work too of looking at uh, all SEC work and how that translates to SEC championships and how it translates for Florida and, and all that stuff too. So plenty, plenty uh, to discuss here. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you just want the audio version, the to-go version, Check us out on your favorite podcast platform or follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And, Will, you and I hit on it last week. Uh, of the, the, We were waiting for that moment. We were waiting for, for Kyle Trask to beat Georgia, and that was going to be the moment that everybody was looking for. If there was any reservations about Kyle Trask and what he was doing, it needed to be go beat Georgia, and then people would start falling in line. You know, it, maybe it's taking a little while, but then he goes out – against Arkansas, six touchdowns, and you know, there weren't many SEC games on. It was a game on ESPN. I think there were, it was only the third SEC game of the week. And here we are, you know, r- right now, that, you know, and that's the title of this episode. Look, it, it is clear. It's time to ramp up the Trask Heisman talk. It, it's for real. He's one of the best players in the country. He's playing at an elite level. And Will kind of just goes to your article today. We know, we know the love fest particularly you, but me as well, with, with Joe Burrow and w- what he was doing and wanting him as a transfer when he transferred from Ohio State and you know want, want to see what Dan Mullen can do with him. And, hey, look, there's always the, the Joe Burrow leap can, you know, from the 2019 season. Well, I mean, we sat all preseason and said nobody's going to do that, and that's not a knock on any of these players. That was an historic leap. There was no way Kyle Trask or Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or any, whoever it was was going to play like Joe Burrow did last year. And by God, if you look at the numbers, <laughs> it's, it's a, it, they're pretty equal in a lot of the metrics out there. 
Yeah, I mean, there were reasons why you didn't think that Trask was going to take the leap. Namely, that Burrow was really inefficient in 2018. All of a sudden started completing the ball downfield. He wasn't necessarily going downfield more often. He was just hitting those throws more often. And and by hitting those throws more often, raising his completion percentage, he was, he was able to be much more efficient. Trask was very efficient last year. And so all of a sudden you're like, hey, he's going to have to throw the ball downfield. The thing that... I, you know, after the Georgia game, I think everybody looked at it and said he's an excellent quarterback. But after the Arkansas game, I look at it, I look at that film and I said he's throwing guys open. And that's the sort of thing that you see where he was actually sort of giving up some guys who were open maybe underneath where he could have had an easy throw. And he said, nope, I'm going to go for it. I'm going I'm, I'm to the, the ball to Copeland is the one that I that I'm particularly thinking of where. You know, Copeland wasn't really open when he let that ball go. He threw him open. Same thing on the ball to Shorter from the opposite hash. Throws the ball to the basically the the only place where Shorter can catch it on a rope, and it turns into a touchdown. Like there's nothing a DB can do on that play. And to be honest, there's not really anything that the defense can do on a play like that other than maybe get in his face. And and you see it in the stats when you look at what's happening when Trask goes downfield. So um, I went to SEC Statcat and looked at some of the breakdowns last year. Trask was 14 to 36. So 39% completion for 11.6 yards per attempt on throws that were 20 plus yards downfield. This year he's 17 to 27, so 63% for 20.1 yards per attempt. So he's gotten better going downfield. It's clear. And I think the Arkansas game, the Georgia games, the Georgia game was sort of the start of it, but the Arkansas game just sort of cemented that it wasn't that he took advantage of a depleted Georgia secondary, or, you know, especially after sign went out that that they didn't have their two starting safeties. That, you know, this is something with a core of defense. Defensive backs who had a lot of interceptions had really been ball hawks. And when the open guy was open, he found him. When there was one-on-one coverage, he found him. Didn't feel like he really forced the ball that much. But there were a few times where he put a little bit extra zip on the ball and got it in there. And that's not necessarily something that we saw last year. Bill, man, it's like every question we had for Kyle Trask pretty much kind of got answered in the last two weeks. It was – now, if you – I mean, I'm just saying, if you go back before the season, how's he going to – How's he going to play with that? We're replacing all those wide receivers. You know, Florida's got new receivers out there. Everybody expects a drop off. All the Georgia fans were chirping, "Hey, you saw what happened when we lost all those receivers last year. You saw the you saw the offense fall. Uh, well, then look, this Florida offense might be even <laughs> even better with, with losing the receivers. And then it comes to can he beat Georgia? Then it was. Well, I don't know if he can hit the throws down the field. His arm strength's weak. And then it was this week. Oh, Kyle Pitts is out. What's going to happen? with Kyle Pitts being out and Kadarius Tony's the only weapon out there. I mean, every question that's been thrown towards Kyle Trask in the last five, six months, it's been answered in the last two weeks have been the best examples of that. Yeah. And I think, I think those questions are fair, but that's what happens when you're a big time player is that you continually step up and answer the next challenge. Just like teams do that. It's all about that next step and, and continuing to send, ascend against each opponent. And, and you're absolutely right. Trask has done that. And, and I think that for me, uh, Arkansas may have been the most impressive just array of big-time passes in a single game for a Gator quarterback that I can remember, period. I mean, you know, we all love Tebow, but Tebow did things with a combination of his legs and his arm, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a passer that Trask is. I mean, the, the, the throws he were making, like Will said, and Will, I really like when you pointed out article, it's shorter. I, I was just shocked. That throw and that catch, there's, there's no defense for a throw like that and a catch like that, period. There's no scheme unless you've got somebody that is equally freakish to take that on one-on-one and take that away physically. That's a touchdown. And, and to see that happening, it's just a, an amazing thing. I hope fans aren't taking it for granted. I mean, heck, the guy had COVID like a few weeks ago. I mean, I think it probably 
better to say that COVID had him. You know, I think, I think Trask prevailed. And I just, it's amazing. He just looks like he's getting better and better and better as the weeks go on. Bill, I'm sending you a message about your microphone. I don't know if it fell down or whatever, but it's kind of, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. Uh, we can understand what you're saying. But. Did I go quiet there? Yeah, there we go. That sounds better. Hey, we can hear you. You don't sound like you're in a tunnel anymore. <laughs> I said some provocative, controversial things that aren't fit for the show. Oh, we, so. can, we can hear you. <laughs> now you sound much better. So there we go. Yeah, we, sorry we, about that, guys. We got to figure it out. I told Dave that would probably happen. <laughs> he, he's not. He's out of practice, Dave. He's out of practice. <laughs> That's what he said. He said it's been a while since he did. <laughs> I'm going to have to get with my agent. I'm not putting up with this. Just <laughs> <laughs> say we're clearly not paying him enough. If his microphone sounds like it did, it was just it fell off. <laughs> but yeah, Bill. To, to, to your point, the Arkansas game overall to me that was the best performance of him because what Arkansas was going to make him do. They were playing three down linemen a whole lot. They were dropping six in the coverage. They were playing that. He was going to have to fit balls into tight windows. His receivers were going to have, yeah. (laughs) And his receivers were going to have to make some tough catches, which they did. I mean, and it's just, uh, and uh, that was probably, I mean, if there was any question left of what he could do, I guess, arm talent wise and arm strength wise, it was answered in that Vanderbilt game. Now, look, I'm not sitting here saying he's got Brett Favre or Dan Marino's arm. That's not, you know, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we saw. Right. But it probably at least answered some questions if his arms, if his arm is strong enough to, you know, be up there in that elite level of quarterback, or if if the NFL is a is a is a next avenue for him as a high round draft pick, you know, he certainly helped his cause. I think with that with that Arkansas performance. Yeah, you kind of heard the, the the commentators kind of hinting around at that a little bit during the game, and they were talking about how you know he has it upstairs, even you know even if he's not quite the physical guy, and, and I just don't think he has to be necessarily to to go where Florida wants him to go. I, I do think it's fair to say that we need to find out. If when things get to Atlanta, if things would go to the playoffs, can he over the course of two to three games uh, or even one versus Alabama fit those windows against the better athletes? Now, he certainly did against a, a somewhat depleted Georgia defense, and I'm not making excuses for Georgia. They, they have an obligation to show up and play ball like everybody else does. But uh, again, it comes down to continuing to answer your critics, continuing to answering those questions. And so far, Trask has done that. I mean, the, the windows that he was putting the ball in were unreal. I mean, it, we're talking about mere inches away from defenders, and I, I just, I just can't say enough about. It. I mean, when was the when when have you seen a better Gator passing performance from a quarterback? I mean, maybe Grossman against LSU maybe. and yeah. the one that was. Yeah, and, that would. Uh, I mean, that's probably the only one I can remember over the last, you know. Yeah. decade <laughs> two decades that i can remember where just it, did, it and that's the thing about this offense and trash specifically is that when they were trying to run the you know normally you're like oh they're trying to run the ball i'm glad they're trying to establish them like no stop it just let him throw the ball like it, he, <laughs> he gets rid of it so quick it doesn't really matter that he's making up for deficiencies now stone forsyth forsyth has gotten much much better at left tackle he's doing a really nice job but obviously there's some issues on the right hand side of the offensive line and and every once in a while a, a guy roams free and is able to get to him and he's able to get the ball out there was a play the the touchdown that he threw to zipper down there in the red zone where he saw the blitz coming 
the right side of the offensive line didn't block anybody, and he just sort of like it. Even seems like he knew they wouldn't because he was backpedaling as soon as he got the snap. I mean, it, li- <laughs> it, it literally looked like a screen pass. Is what it looked like. It looked like yeah. they were heading upfield for a screen pass, but he just backpedaled and backpedaled, built himself enough time to where he could loft it up there to Zipper, and then not only that, but off balance made a perfect throw to Zipper, where Zipper had the ability to beat his man, and it was right on his hands when he got there. So not only the fact that he was able to identify the blitz, that he was able to build the time in the pocket by drifting, but then to be able to put the ball right on his receiver's hands at the back of the end zone. And the only place, and this was the thing is there were multiple throws. There was one where Grimes got hit right when he caught the ball, where the ball was sort of on his inside shoulder. One, it kind of protected Grimes, but the other thing is, is it put it where the defender couldn't get to it. And then there was one where he threw it over the middle to zipper downfield where he looked off the safety, threw it over the linebacker and, and sort of led zipper down the field. It was something like 35 or 36 yard completion just a beautiful throw and he threw it kind of flat footed, which sort of goes to your point, Bill, that, you know, maybe he doesn't have the, the Brett Favre arm, but he's got a pretty decent arm. And it's, it's not oh, yeah. like, it, it's not like we got Chad Pennington back there playing quarterback for, for <laughs> Florida. He's able to chuck it downfield. He's actually, his mechanics are a lot better this year and he seems to have considerably more arm strength this year than he did last year. Or, and I think this may be, may be the case is he's just a lot more confident in his reads. And when he decides to go, he goes, there's no tentative, there's no check down that you know there's a check down when there's supposed to be a check down but he's not defaulting to a check down when he might be able to go downfield at this point he's just going downfield letting it rip yeah he is and really you know you touched on this whole offensive line situation the offensive linemen on the left hand side are, are pretty good for the most part I don't think the entire unit is very they're not excellent anywhere um, but at the same time Trask has been so good in the pocket and so good while in the pocket evading pressure and making things work while keeping his eyes downfield and continuing to orchestrate things downfield and deliver the football downfield, I would think these offensive linemen kind of owe him a, a little bit of a death thanks as much as he owes them one. I mean, he's, he's making them look better than they are, and, and it's just another unbelievable part of his game. I mean, it's, it's just a, a beautiful thing to watch. It's yeah. funny he went he went down for a sack the other night and I was like oh my goodness like I don't know <laughs> like we haven't had one of those in like three games right? right and and for the most part it's because when he's back there he's able to get rid of the ball even the one where they grabbed his face mask he was able to get the ball out even if it wasn't completely accurate and you look at it from a sack rate perspective Florida ranks fifteenth in the country on the six, offensive line six sacks right six on the season. And not many. So they're they're two point eight percent of the dropbacks on standard downs yep. is is their sack rate. So they have been excellent at being able to keep his his jersey clean, though a lot of that has to do with just him getting the ball out quickly, knowing where the read's going, knowing where the pressure's coming from, right? Understanding the 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 throw to zipper I mentioned earlier. He understood the blitz was coming from that side. He drifted to that side and then he was able to get the ball to zip without without really a whole lot of drama, but, um, you know, understanding this is where the blitz is coming from. This is where I'm going to go with the ball. I'm going to take advantage of it. I I don't know how you defend him because, you know, the way I would have said you defended him before the Arkansas game is I would have said you play too deep and you force Florida to run the ball. And, you know, Florida kind of ran him out of the out of the two deep a little bit, but not really. But you still had that first drive that was like 14 plays in seven and a half minutes. So they can beat you that way. And then when Arkansas started to get a little bit more aggressive and started to bring a little bit more pressure, all of a sudden it was just bang, bang, bang right down the field. So it's really kind of pick your poison. Do you want to let Georgia or do you want to let Florida completely um, wear down your defense on a 14 play drive that turns into a touchdown? Or do you just want to get off the field after three plays, having given up a touchdown? You know, the only 
the only team that's really stopped them even remotely is is AM and maybe Georgia in the first quarter uh, or the first half of the first quarter. I mean, other than that, just nobody. There hasn't been anybody who's been able to figure it out. And some of that's because of Mullen, some of that's because of Johnson. But some of that is because no matter what play they call, they have a quarterback who's going to go to the right place with the ball. You, you can't double team everybody. And he's finding the guy who's in a one on one matchup and putting the ball right in his hands. Yeah, I think. Go, go, oh, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Yeah, yeah go, we'll go to your point about, hey, why are you running the ball because of what you know, the, the quarterback that you have? I remember having the conversation on Twitter during the game, and uh, I, I forget who who the who, who the follower was, but he was like, "Why are we throwing so many screens? You know, we got this quarterback who, who has no problem throwing it 10, 15, 20, 30 yards down the field." And I was like. Look, I know it's not working, especially with the coverage Arkansas was playing. You know, you're not going to hit you know those screens for you know many yards. I was like, but you could tell they're setting up something because we have not seen that many screens at all this season. It was a staple of the offense last year, not so much this year because run game's been a bit better. You were using the screen game a little bit last year to help the run game, and you had receivers that could really block that play very well. But I was like, as much as Florida's running it. They're setting something up because they haven't run it this much all year. Of course, later in, in the game fake the screen to Tony shorter goes up and, and gets that one. But it was like, yeah, it, it, I think fans are starting to notice plays like you are. We was like, why are we running the ball? And why are we throwing screen passes? <laughs> when this quarterback can make every throw out there, but it, it's setting stuff up. I am not going to question Dan Mold's play call like ever again. Nope. <laughs> every every like after the, after the first drive of the Georgia game, I'm like, really? They threw to Pierce on third and six like that. that that's a terrible play call. And then immediately the running backs go for like 220 yards receiving in the game because the plan was to pick on the linebackers. And that's maybe the, you know, the, the running of the ball and the little screen passes and all that sort of stuff was to get those guys eyes into the backfield. And Trask is a master at manipulating those guys with his eyes. And so the minute he had an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that he was able to move the safeties, he did it. And, you know, Obviously, things they I would say Trask figured out what Arkansas was doing in the second quarter. You know, you, you don't you don't put up 28 points in a quarter without figuring out what the what the defense is trying to do. Yeah, I think the only way that anybody's going to come close and I don't think anybody's going to stop Trask. I just don't think in this day and age and then with a quarterback like Trask, I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation of any team. I think if anybody is going to slow him enough uh, down enough to win, it would start with being very disruptive up front. Um, and what I mean by that is you're going to have to have just a four-man rush that can assert themselves against this offensive line and and really cause some havoc up there. And even then, he's going to score on you. Uh, it's just a matter of can you stop him a few times and, and in conjunction with your offense going ham on the Gators' defense. I mean, I think that's got to be the plan of victory. Like if you're Nick Saban right now, you're thinking, can we win a 35-31 ball game? or a 42 to 38 ball game or something like that. I just, the idea that anybody's going to come in there and just start putting him on his back, even with this offensive line that struggles a lot, I just think he's too much to handle. And um, that's why I think that maybe you pick him, maybe you don't in Atlanta, but they're going to have a fighting chance against anybody. And I, I hate looking ahead because we'll have plenty of time to talk about that game because more than likely that's going to be the SEC championship. But We've waited a do, while. But, but what do you do if you're Nick Saban? I mean, do because look, Alabama can run the ball. And they got a really good offensive line. They got Najee Harris leading the charge there. Dude, they're putting up points just like Florida. But do they in that game, because of facing Trask and, and this Gator offense, do they decide to slow the game down and, and try to run the ball just to keep Florida 
Or do they want to go get the shootout, much like they did versus LSU last year and, and lost out on that? But uh, I, I do find it interesting, as we're about a month away from that game in the most likely scenario for the SEC championship game, what the, what, what, what is going to be Alabama's game plan on offense? Are they, do they, and probably they probably can mix it up a bit too. But there's probably going to be a dominant either try and slow it down or try to get into a shootout. And uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very intrigued in looking at Alabama and see how they'll – because they're going to try and defend Trask with their offense a bit, I think, if they want to get the shootout or if they want to slow it down. I think it's all about whichever team can become the most disruptive. I think this, the strategy is the same for both of these things. These teams do exactly what you do well in offense to, to attain the maximum amount of value by putting as many points on the board as you can and think about nothing else on offense. On defense, though, I think some calculated aggression – now, not the safety blitz from 30 yards back all the time, but the right kind of aggression to disrupt a few drives. Because if you can get a couple of stops in a game like that at key moments, it might be enough. And that's why, to me, I mean, are you really going to slow Alabama down over the course of a football game? Eh, I don't think so. And I don't think Saban's thinking that about the Gators. So it just key stops at key times. You need to have your bag of tricks ready if you're if you're Grantham. They need to get with him and make sure they're on the same page and pull those out at the right times and look for those moments to get the win. I think you work on your onside kicks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Well, you know, you, you said you didn't know who the punter was. Like, let's get him out there. Let's let's get the kicker out there. Have him working on on onside kicks. McPherson never misses anyway when he kicks field goals. So, well, let, to be let, fair, let's... I said be aggressive. So, I mean, I think that fits. <laughs> uh, I mean. I look at it and I say, yes, Dave, we don't want to look too far ahead because it's still the SEC and you're still in the middle of playing seven games in a row. And, you know, we've got pits out for a couple more weeks, apparently. And then you've got, um, you know, at some point you're going to hit some injuries and those injuries may may impact things in a way that you can't necessarily foresee. So you hope that everybody stays healthy over the next three or four games. You know, we were all sort of begging to not see another quarterback power there in the second half. There's really no reason to take your Heisman level quarterback and just run him into the defensive end. Um, you know, maybe yeah, I know the, that's part of the offense, but I don't need a cheap fluke hit on the wrist and Trask right. be out for a reason for, for that. Well, I mean, especially you know he's he's got a whole seventy eight yards rushing this year. So <laughs> and and he had like twenty six on one run, I think, against South Carolina. Right. Yeah. So we're we're not talking about Emory Jones back there running the football. So yes, it it does make it was that aspect, the fact that he is willing to run does open a few things up, but I don't know that you necessarily want to show that particular aspect of the offense until you start playing Alabama. So there's still four games to go, obviously, before we get to Atlanta, you don't want to take those for granted. But when I look at it, I say, okay, um, you know, Alabama is going to be the most explosive offense Florida's seen all year. That includes Ole Miss. Um, And, and, that's really the difference when you start thinking about the difference between Georgia and the difference between Alabama is Stetson Bennett is not Mac Jones. And and so you're going to have to do some things creatively to stop Alabama. You are have to do some things creatively if you're Alabama to stop Florida. And the, the question I think is going to come down to the defense, who can come up with the best scheme, who can get a couple of punts? Cause I don't think you're going it, to, it's not going to be 27 to six. It's going to, it's much more likely to be, you know, 49 to 42. And so who's going to be able to get a couple of points or who's going to get the critical turnover. Right. And that's, that's where the Florida defense, I think, has really shown some improvement over the last two or three weeks is being much more aggressive, um, causing turnovers. The defensive line is getting a lot more disruption. Um, you know, things aren't perfect. There are certainly things that need to improve and things that may not improve throughout the year just because of the different guys they have out on the field. At the same time, 
the fact that ever since Kyrie Campbell came back, the defensive line has been a lot more disruptive. And I think that at least gives Gator fans hope that coming into that game against Alabama, you know, everybody being healthy, that, that they'll have an opportunity. And that's not something we could say even in 15 and 16 when McIlwain was taking those teams in the SEC championship game. Florida was a heavy underdog. And the minute they fell behind, you know, by – three points you're like oh geez there's no way we're gonna be up you know you were hoping for an Antonio Callaway punt return for a touchdown as opposed to the offense because you just figured the offense couldn't get it done it's not gonna be the case you know you're down 14 nothing to Georgia no problem come right back it's 38 to 21 at the half um you know they have the ability to fall behind and come back and so um you know you're never out of it and that's kind of cool because that means you've always got an opportunity Yeah, absolutely. So getting to a, a few numbers here before we uh, move on here, just uh, Florida sent these out here. So kind of Heisman numbers comparative to, to past Heisman winners, past Florida Heisman winners. So Trask joined Tebow 2007-2008 and Danny Werfel 95-96 as the only Gators in history to post multiple seasons of 25 passing touchdowns. Among all Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks since 1990, Trask 28 touchdown passes uh, all, yeah, all passes, which trail only Lamar Jackson's 30 in 2016, 15 rushing and 15 passing for the most total touchdowns through six games. So Lamar did it through the air and on the ground, Trask all through the air. Uh, so uh, within the same group, Trask, 2,171 passing yards, only trailed Ty Detmer's 2,513 yards from the first six games of the 1990 season. The only other Heisman quarterbacks who eclipsed 2,000 passing yards in the first six games of their winning season were Sam Bradford, 2008, and Joe Burrow last year. With his sixth game of four passing touchdowns this season, Trask becomes the first Gator in history to throw four-plus passing touchdowns six different times in the season. We knew that one there. Comparing him to some uh, more Gator Heisman Trophy winners, Danny Werfel previously held the school record with five in both 95 and 96. Um, Trask four of 350-yard passing games outings the last two seasons are more than the combined number of 350-yard passing games by all Gator quarterbacks since the start of 2002. Last one, Trask and Grossman are now the only quarterbacks in Gator history with four consecutive 300-yard passing games as well as four such outings in a row against SEC teams. So one guy who probably should have won the Heisman <laughs> there for, 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 uh, uh, for Gator fans going back and looking at like that. But guys, I mean, he's in, he's in rare category there uh, with, with a bunch of high profile names that uh, we remember for years in in watching college football. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. You mentioned Grossman there. I mean, Gr- Grossman was, by a statistical measure, really should have been some should have probably won the Heisman back in 2001. The reason he didn't is that Florida lost the game to Tennessee late in the year. Florida lost the game to Auburn. They probably shouldn't have lost. I think you know if if Florida ends up dropping one of those games late in the year this year, um, or if Florida gets blown out by Alabama, particularly because Mac Jones is probably his largest competition. When it goes head to head, if Alabama wins and Mac Jones outplays him, then the Heisman yep. then the Heisman hype goes by the wayside. If if they play Alabama and Trask outplays him, even if Alabama wins the game, if Trask outplays him, maybe he maybe he gets votes and and uh, you know I, I think Trask has been really good, but Mac Jones has been really good too. Yep. I mean, twelve point four yards per attempt. My measurement yards above replacement is at four point two one, which is considerably higher than Trask is at two point four nine. Those are still 
<laughs> unbelievable numbers. QB rating for Mac Jones at 210.3. I think it's more fair to say that he's playing better than Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has a QB rating of 178.6, yards above replacement 1.82, only averaging 9.6 yards per throw. So, you know, it, the fact that Trevor Lawrence is on that list, especially having missed two games, I think is probably more indicative of the um, – of the political aspect of the Heisman in terms of who people believe was the mm-hmm. best guy coming into the year. But we saw that with Peyton Manning all the way back when he was at Tennessee, you know, Manning was a very good quarterback at Tennessee. I don't know that he was ever elite. When you look at the statistics, his QB rating, I don't think ever got above 150. Um, those teams won a lot, but they won a lot because they had really good physical defenses. And, and Manning was certainly a big part of the wins they had there, but I don't think by any chance, by any stretch of the imagination, he was the best quarterback in the country. Any of those years that he was hyped up to be the Heisman trophy winner, and, you know, I think you're sort of seeing the same thing with Lawrence, where Lawrence has played. Lawrence obviously came on the scene two years ago, wins the national championship, plays lights out in the national championship game. You know, the only loss he has is in the national championship game last year to LSU. So certainly he's got a team that he's been able to drive forward. But when it comes to comparisons with Trask this year, I mean, from a statistical perspective, I'm taking I'm taking Trask all day over over Lawrence. I just think he's been the better player. But it, it's pretty clear to me. I mean, it's not there's there's not even a question there. Uh, honestly, when you when you look at it that way, for for you know, the the preseason favorite to win the Heisman. I think you said it, Will. I mean, the Heisman moment is coming up in Atlanta. I mean, that's oh, yeah. the moment. You come in there. I mean, it, beating Alabama would send a message on so many levels, and, and one of them is that for Trask to come in. And there and do that to complete that journey from where he's come from to dethroning a potential Heisman candidate at Alabama with that supporting cast coached by Nick Saban. I mean, you talk about sticking a flag in the ground uh, and, that, and that flag is going to have a Heisman trophy on. Um, I, I think that's the moment. I mean, as much as I love watching him this week at Arkansas, that's just another step in the ladder. Uh, but when you get to the top, Alabama's waiting. And if he can knock them off, it might well be his. And that's the thing, Bill. You bring up that for for uh, Jones there. I mean the the um, supporting cast. I mean, if you ask anybody out there, you know, Waddle going down definitely hurts uh, Alabama a little bit. One of the best receivers in the country, but you know, if you, if you look, everybody's going to take that supporting cast over what Kyle Trask has. And you know, Kyle Trask has made you know Kyle you know, Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask kind of there together. But if Pitts, Tony Grimes, you know, all, shorter all the all the weapons Florida has, you go out there and poll poll the country. Probably eighty percent is taking Alabama's skill players and offensive line <laughs> over that. So yeah, I, I kind of give Trask a little more credit there, just a bit. I think he's, I think he's elevating the play of so many guys around him. While Jones, to me, has a better, uh, more of a benefit of having a, b- a better supporting cast around him. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, man. I mean, say what you will, but um, Saban's proven year in and year out that he's not only getting these high rated recruits, but that he's producing with them. And uh, they absolutely still are loaded with talent uh, compared to most teams in the country, most teams in the SEC, most teams in the top 10. You know, so, yeah, I think it, it definitely speaks to what Trask has been able to accomplish so far. And, again, it's another aspect of what he could accomplish if he was to beat a team like that with a quarterback like that. And, and honestly, I, I think that Florida's got some really good pieces on that team apart from Trask. I mean, obviously, we all know Pitts is amazing. Tony is it's very good in certain aspects of what he does. And then you've got several others that are pretty good. But I, I don't think this looks like a great football team, per se. I think it looks like a great quarterback with a good football team. And that has proven at times to be good enough to get you over the hump. 
Yeah, we'll get into that with uh, your all SEC stuff coming up because that kind of that probably that, that kind of goes hand in hand uh, with probably what we'll see and how all SEC translates into uh, SEC championships. Before we get there, guys, Florida, 30 and a half point favorites this week. <laughs> Vanderbilt, big, big, big number there. We'll see if that goes up or down uh, this week as, as the money comes rolling into Vegas. But you can get some skin in on the game with my bookie where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there's really no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and the contests they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic tables, slot, and cart games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is that MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the games are over. Make the right play, sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code GATERS to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. Say you put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season with promo code GATERS at MyBookie. So, Bill, I mean, I'm just going to hand it off to you right here. You've been... Uh, for the last what, few months, at least, working on a, a huge research project with you're know, kind of looking at the all SEC players and how it translates to teams that win the national championship, and you've really kind of dived into the last ten years and you know the mainly more modern college football and how that translates into teams hoisting that trophy in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, uh, Will's website where the, the article is going to be published, you know, the byline is curiosity applied to college football. And, and I think this really typifies that. I, I wanted to look at things a different way. And, and it's gotten to the point where uh, the full body of work and, and of data is out there as far as recruiting metrics and things like that. And I was like, how can we look at this from a different way? So instead of looking forward through recruiting metrics, I said, let's look backward apart from recruiting metrics to see how champions have been built. And so what I did is I pulled 549 different Associated Press All-SEC uh, postseason post A All-SEC football te- uh, player profile. Excuse me. I know that was a mouthful. And basically 10 years worth of the AP's All-SEC teams. And Again, 549 profiles, over 400 individual players because there were some repeat years uh, by those players. And I broke it down by dozens of metrics. The the six-part project that I'm writing now, uh, which I am doing for charity, which we'll talk about later, um, I wanted to look at it at each step of the way. How is Dan Mullen going to need to build a champion team? So in part one, which just released, we went over and said, what have other champions done? What do you need from all SEC players? How many? What side of the ball? What positions? What you know? What a first team versus second team? What matters here? What has mattered in the past? What template is he going to either have to follow, or is he going to break away from that and find a new way? Uh, part two, I'm going to go over uh, where all SEC players come from. I mean, it gets from the region to the state to the high schools. I ranked every high school in the country in producing these players. Talk about IMG, the portal, all these things. Part three, we'll talk about the timing factors of redshirting and when you get which players, which positions. Uh, part four, we're going to find out who's the real blank, blank you, like a DBU. We're going to find that out for every position and more. Uh, part five, we'll get into recruiting all SEC players by the numbers. And in part six, I'm going to make a deep dive into the all SEC production resume of Daniel Mullen 
And we're going to find out what he brings to the table in that regard. All right. So part one is already up at Read and Reaction. So you guys can can go check that out. So, Bill, let's start there of, you know, how you started this and got to the point to where, you know, you, you kind of gave a Florida perspective of this is kind of just the wide scope of first team, second team, and what position helps the most right away. Yeah, it is. And it also I established two paths here. There's the, the historic minimum. I mean, you don't have to necessarily do it Bama's way. I mean, if you do, you're probably going to win five in 10 years like they did. Uh, but I said, okay, what have the, the lower end teams done that have popped off a title here or there? What did they have? And then I also established the, uh, the ideal number. So there's a range there of, of how teams are typically built. Um, and, and like you said, which side of the ball, which position, first and second team, and where, you know, how you need to assemble these guys. Yeah, so one the, the thing that caught my eye the most, and we'll start here, and we'll we can get you to jump in here here too, Bill. Is that while the annual offensive average was four point two selections per year, and that's also very close to the defense three point nine. Uh, the the biggest takeaway for me, and kind of a really no surprise here, three positions that have made an impact: quarterback, running back, offensive line, and honestly, for and, and you put it in here too for. I think Bama probably skews it just a little bit, especially when you start looking at running back because you know they've they've led the league in producing running backs and putting first team running backs and and those guys going on to the NFL to to do good things too. But of of course, and it's probably no surprise. Of course, quarterback that's definitely no surprise. Uh, but with but with Bama being in that last ten year range, running back's really no surprise either. But I mean, look, we also offensive linemen. I mean, it's no surprise there that. Trench warfare, as we like to call it, there is <laughs> especially also throwing Alabama into the mix. There is it goes a long way in determining all SEC players and translating that into winning an SEC championship. Yeah, but you know, Bama doesn't skew that position as much as you might think. And remember, yeah. while as dominant as they were, and it's weird to even say this, they only won five of the last ten, you know, SEC championships. But when you look at the teams. Uh, across the board, first of all, everyone except for 2000 LSU had either at least one of an all-SEC quarterback or an all-SEC running back. And then every single SEC champion of the last 10 years had at least one all-SEC offensive lineman. But when you go down these non-Bama champions, in 2010, Auburn had three all-SEC offensive linemen. 2011, LSU had two. 2013, Auburn had two. 2017, Georgia had one, and in 2019, they had one. So it's not – Bama did have three uh, in two years, but it, most of these teams typically have right around two or a little bit more. But when you look at the entire group and when you consider a starting five offensive linemen for each champion, so you've got 50 starting offensive linemen for these SEC champion teams over the course of 10 years, well, 42% of those ended up on all SEC teams by the Associated Press. That's a staggering number. 42% of your starters at that position. Florida, meanwhile, had two over the past decade. Mm. And haven't scored any points until the last couple of years either. Which right. probably, probably, you know, correlation, causation, those are always the things you try to figure out here. But the thing that sort of surprised me was the running back in particular. That mm-hmm. you, know, you think about the running back position in the NFL. And I guess I had sort of thought of it as the same way in college, where it's a relatively fungible type of type of position where, you know, you you don't waste a top draft pick in the NFL anymore on a running back. Some of that has to do with injury, but some of that just has to do with you can find a guy in the later rounds who's just as good 
as the guys who were earlier on, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this sort of data is it tells you about potentially who you might want to get excited about when you bring in a five-star level recruit, that if you bring in a five-star level running back or a five-star level quarterback, you should be really excited. Whereas if you bring in a five-star rated all-purpose guy, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a big star for your program, but it does mean that the likelihood that he's going to be a huge contributor to an SEC champion is less just because that position tends not to contribute as highly to those sorts of uh, those sorts of championships. So is there anything else there, Bill, that you that you saw that was sort of surprising to you? Oh, but before we get there, I, I kind of want to go there, Will, because I'm glad you brought that up, especially when you look at Florida this year. How far is that going to take Florida this year? Because, look, it's running back by committee for the most part. I mean, yes, Pierce is a starter, but you don't, you don't, you're not having, you're not, this year, you're not going to have that do- dominant running back. And it looks like in the NFL offense, it's so led by this quarterback and him being able to make plays. And look, it's the most important position on the field. That's why Florida's so good right now because the quarterback's really, really good. But, you know, kind of to Will's point, I, I kind of thought the same thing that running back maybe not so important because of we see, we see it every week in the NFL. But, you know, we're also seeing it with Florida's offense right now. This offense is so good and so clicking because of that quarterback. Yeah, the running back thing, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the future with the as these vertical passing attacks are just overwhelming college football right now. But, there were, I mean, there were six uh, champion all-SEC quarterbacks over the past decade. When you talk about guys like Cam Newton and, and Joe Burrow and Tua, uh, now you did have a few that were more of your game manager types. Blake Sims and uh, A.J. McCarron at Alabama. But, of course, they were built around those running backs, and they were surrounded by a bevy of five stars to kind of prop them up there. Um, but I think it's a perfectly viable uh, path to waltz into Atlanta and win there if you've got the quarterback and not the running back. And the data certainly supports supports that. I mean, there were, there were five all-SEC running backs on these champion teams, and one of those, I think, was in the same year. So it's not like it was, you know – it's not like he, the one was more dominant than the other than the statistics. Yeah, so looking at it for Florida right here while we're on these positions that matter, positions that have made an impact in, in all SEC and converting to SEC championships. Quarterback, okay, Trask is going to be first or second team. I mean, it's oh, that's all there is to it. Him, Matt Jones, first, second team, there you go. So you, you'll, you'll have Trask on there. You won't have a running back. And offensive line, Forsyth might get on – First or second team, they're at left. I mean, they're at probably second team left tackle because you know who's it? Um, Leatherwood for Bama. This has just got the reputation and the historic performance behind his name. He's a pretty good player too, Dave. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, no I mean, I wasn't gonna. Yeah, I was definitely. Bias. He's really good. <laughs> uh, so he's gonna he's gonna get that. That's what I'm saying. He's playing really good, but he's also got the you know. If, if you're gonna say sit there and say okay, those guys are even, he's gonna get the tiebreaker if so to say given his history and reputation mm-hmm. heggy maybe at center you might get two there second team center there for heggy with the way he's playing too uh there so that gives you in this three positions that have made an impact you'll have trask at quarterback and you might get two offensive one yeah what about i mean i haven't watched the tape enough to to really make this call but i mean garage has looked pretty good at times yeah. it's not like they're calling his number for the wrong reasons a lot like they are on the other side of the line and so i think it's it's very possible that you see one uh, one of those guys sneak in. I, I think it's a stretch to call for two, uh, but at the same time, how I much is a stretch? But that's, I'm just saying it's possible it's, though. It's I mean, a, they're going to give some cred to this offense as a whole because of what's happening over there. 
Well, I think I think maybe the the interesting takeaway from from the article is you've got sort of an all SEC championship template that looks at sort of the historic minimum to be an SEC champion, and then the ideal number in terms of all SEC selections. And that's one of the things where I think the defensive struggles for Florida really kind of rear their head because you know you can find so the historic minimum on that chart you've got two total first team selections, three total selections on offense, two on defense, and then one selection offensive line. I think we can talk our into, I mean, I think the offense is going to get rewarded when it comes right. to the all when it comes to the all SEC, just because the offense is so transcendent that they're not going to just be like, well, it's just Trask, right? I mean, the guys he's throwing the ball to are going to get rewarded as well. You don't know exactly which guy that is right now. Chances are it'll be whoever steps up over the next four weeks and five weeks going through the Alabama game, and then you know, and then we'll see. Obviously, if they beat Alabama, I think you can see a, a scenario where a lot of the guys flip. And, and they're going to flip deservedly so because they won the championship because of their play. The, the issue is, is the, the selections on defense is the place where I worry. I mean, who mm-hmm. do you necessarily pick on the defense side of the ball? Maybe Kyrie Campbell, because since he came in, he made such a huge impact on the overall defense. I can see maybe Zach Carter, Zach Carter. Getting, getting some yeah, love there. Um, you know, maybe oh, Kyrie. Like zone, but yeah, maybe, maybe Kyrie Elam, especially if the defensive backs play better. So there, there's hope, right? I mean, you, you look at it and say – I can see a path to Florida meeting that historic minimum, potentially even sort of the ideal number. But it does sort of tell you where Florida is going to have to improve over the next four or five games if they hope to if they hope to win the SEC championship rather than just play in the SEC championship game. You know, two yeah, things you're only on pointing that. out. You're only pointing out offensive guys that you know for sure are going to be all SEC guys. Two two things on this though, guys. You know, for one. This isn't meant to be a hard, fast thing. And I get accused of that a lot with my writing. Uh, you never know when something else is going to change where this becomes something where Mullen's able to, to bypass it or to, to uh, win in spite of it. Uh, and one thing I think could play into that happening is the fact that the defense made, made such a dramatic shift once Campbell returned. Once he got back in there, it just really juiced the whole unit. And I'm not saying they're great. They got problems. We, we all know that. Um, at the same time, you saw a real turning point for them. And down the stretch here, the opponents that they're going to play are the sort that Grantham ten, typically has no problem with. Mm-hmm. They should feast on them. The numbers should pile up. They're going to probably end on a high note to this regular season with a lot of statistical backing to where some of these voters, especially in the year, the second thing kind of in conjunction with this, we're not talking about complete seasons here. They're already going to have to look at some stats like how many sacks per game, how many tackles per game, because not everybody's playing the same amount of of games out there. Maybe they do add a little more subjectivity to say, just I have a qualitative feel for this guy and I feel like he's the better player. So in that regard, you could see a guy like Cox come on down the stretch. Now, you know, now that they've got Campbell in there and they've got a nice, you know, defensive front, you could see him pile up some sacks against these teams. You could certainly see Carter continue to put up the big plays he has. So all you need, if you get a couple of these guys on defense, if you get, of course, Trask should be first or second team. Pitts should be probably still first as long as he gets back. Um, Kadarius Tony, I mean, Tony is fourth in scoring per game right now for wide receivers. So I think he has a chance, probably more of that all-purpose role. Um, if you pair one of those and one of those offensive linemen sneaks in there, you might just sneak in at the minimum. Well, that's funny, Bill, because, I mean, the good news for positions that have made an impact, Florida's got 
quarterback with Trask and maybe an offensive lineman or two. And it, it is funny if you look at it the other way, three positions that haven't really contributed. It was where Florida's really, really good. All-purpose, Kadarius Tony, as you said, he may slide the wide receiver, so that could skew a number here or there. But tied in and Kyle Pitts, you know, not necessarily a a a force in in all pit in all SEC selection, meaning a whole lot as far as winning an SEC championship. But look, we know we watch enough football here. Kyle Pitts isn't your normal tight end, and if you want, it, right? It, it, and I don't think anybody. I mean, Miami fans will say, "Ha ha, I told you so." Because they love when they want to talk about Brevin Jordan being the best tight end in the country. Look, if 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 the SEC come out and said, "All right, Kyle Pitts, you're an all you're an all SEC wide receiver," nobody's really going to complain about that, right. <laughs> but, because you know because of what he is. But he's a tight end, and and you'll get that. But we know he's a different style of tight end. He's 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 a hybrid tight end, and one of the best that, to do it in the SEC. Place kicker also build that you just you said uh, a position that doesn't really translate uh, into an SEC championship, an SEC championship just because you have an all SEC type of place kicker or anything like that. But you know Pitts, Tony, I mean honestly, you know both those guys you could really slide into the slash wide receiver. Sure. Uh, and ahead, it's, a, it's, it's a matter of gravity, right? I mean, Pitts has a gravity about him that opens up things for everybody else. You really saw it in the game against Georgia where they were using him to open up some of the other throws that Trask was making, and they have a quarterback who could take advantage of that. So, um, you know, I, I think Bill's point is well taken, and I, I hope people take this when we talk about recruiting or we talk about what could happen is is that all of this is is a matter of percentages. And there's, you know, there's always going to be an opportunity for an outlier when we're talking about, you know, top three, top five level recruiting. The reason we're saying that is because, you know, Bama's won five of the last 10 SEC championships, but that doesn't mean Bama's won all 10. And so there's obviously opportunity for other teams to slide in there. But if you want to win five out of 10, then, Hey, this is the path to doing that. I think it's the same thing. If you want to be a consistent SEC champion, you're going to have to start hitting some of these metrics. And Florida is on its way to being able to hit some of these metrics this year that they haven't hit the last couple of years. And there's a reason why Florida beat Georgia. I mean, some of that is Stetson Bennett. Some of that is the injuries. But some of it is because this is a better team than the team that they've had the last couple of years. And they were able to beat Georgia because of it. So, um, you know, if nothing else, I think this is a really interesting overall study, um, especially when you, you in some of the later uh, in some of the later articles, Bill, you're going to get into like where these guys come from specifically in the country, like what regions, which I know there was a whole lot of talk about Chris Steele and bringing him in from California and those sorts of things to, to look and say, okay, in the state of Florida, I can't find these guys very prevalently. That's the position I should recruit outside of the state. That to me is something that's really interesting. It's something I haven't seen before. Yeah. As we go further into the series, what we do is we leave that template and say, okay, now that we've got that established, how do we go about, filling this template? How does Mullen go ahead and get these six to eight players and with these key positions filled? And we start off geographically. Uh, And in detail, like you said, I I mean, I went through the entire state of Florida and say, what positions does the home state produce and which ones do they not? And if they can't count consistently on these positions to produce all SEC players in the home state, which state should they go look at? Should they look in Iowa for defensive tackles should they look in california for cornerbacks that commit to three different schools but um you know it's mm-hmm. it, <laughs> california's <laughs> watching right probably it's probably trying to recommit but no it, absolutely it's going to get into to some detail and there's going to be a lot of things 
that challenge people's preconceived notions. There's going to be some things that are confirmed where you say, oh, I knew that was probably what would, would come out of this. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And like I told you guys before the show, I've been into this. Sure, I have my own assumptions and preconceived notions, but I honestly don't know what some of the, like the recruiting data is going to show as far as which positions where stars matter the least and things like this. I don't know how it's going to play out. And I'm as excited to find out uh, myself as I am to share it with everybody else. Yeah, my my, fa- my favorite is that Georgia leads in, in the article that's going to go up tonight. Georgia leads in terms of the number of APL SEC football players from 2010 to 2019. Just further confirming that Mark Richt and Kirby Smart do less with more talent than anybody out there. <laughs> hey, how about this one? And, and I wasn't going to drop this, but just for Gators Breakdown listeners, because I love you guys. Um, I ranked, like I said, every high school in the country. Uh, as far as producing all SEC players. And the number one in the country was Stevenson High School in Stone Mountain, Georgia. They produced Mm. seven all SEC players over 10 years. Now stop and think about that. I mean, that is insane. But here's the kicker. Three of them played for Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. So what that shows us is that Mullen already has some inroads uh, into the state of George, Georgia, that he understands the importance of pipelines and some of these other things. And we're going to connect some of those dots, but there's one thing I'm not going to hit on yet about that fact that we'll get to in part six. So it's going to kind of unfold progressively as we go. Well, we're going to get you on when you put that last piece out too. Well, right, we'll revisit, we'll re- revisit all that, but look, I mean, the, the hope here, uh, if you look for, for Gator fans here, look, total first team ideal number is five. The historic minimum is two for offense. You know, four is ideal, three is the historic minimum. So, look, Florida, trash. And eight, kicks, you want Tony. eight overall ideal and six non-kickers is the minimum total. Okay. So, yeah, look, Trask, Pitts, Tony, there's three. You know, you said four is ideal, three is historic minimum. Look, they've hit that minimum. Like I said, you maybe Stone Forsyth gets there as an offensive lineman. There's your four. There's your four is ideal if – if, if, if we see it there. So as we said, it's splitting hairs. I mean, we could sit here and probably say we would think Stone Forsyth could be an all SEC left tackle, uh, you know, for a uh, first, second team. If he doesn't, I mean, it's not like, okay, well, you know, we know he's a good left tackle. So, you know, Florida's not going to go win or lose to Alabama because Stone Forsyth, you know, made first, second, third team all SEC. <laughs> He's got a good offensive lineman name anyway. (laughs) Well, but but they will win because he's playing in an all SEC level, right? Like like the fact the fact that that if he can, you know, Bill sort of mentioned that the way you defend Florida's defense is you hope to get pressure with your front four, or the way you defend Florida's offense is you hope to get pressure with your front four, and then you drop guys in the zone and you sort of make them dink and duck down the field, and you hope to really disrupt the quarterback. Well, if the left tackle is not letting the defensive end get anywhere near the quarterback in one on one matchups, then that leaves your other four offensive linemen to take on those other three guys. You can now double team people that you couldn't double team if the left tackle's having trouble with the defensive end. And so, um, you know, whether or not he wins the all SEC is, is splitting hairs at the end of the day. But the fact that you, the fact that having a left tackle playing at an all SEC level is important, I don't think is in dispute. The thing that's interesting to me is how important that particular position is, or at least the offensive line is to these champions. And, you know, I don't think you can overlook it. I, I think obviously winning sort of, sort of gives voters reason to vote for guys on those particular teams. At the same time, one of the reasons that you're voting for the, one of those reasons that the team's winning is because of all of the, uh, all the success that they're having on the field. So um, 
Yeah, I, it's a really interesting study. I think there's a lot of different things you can you can call from it, and uh, I'm sure you know Bill's got this down to six parts. But I'm sure that there will be uh, more things that people can do with the data set, um, you know, moving forward, just because of the level of effort it took to to call all the information and, and put it all together. Yeah, who knows what we might uh, extrapolate from it in the future? <laughs> like right now, though, my head's swimming. I got to get through these six, <laughs> but it is fun. I will say that. I mean, look, the common theme here is Trask Heisman, Trask all SEC. Sure. I mean, I mean, there, I mean, it, <laughs> figure out the rest later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, Florida's got the most important position figured out on the field, and and, and it's paying dividends uh, right there. So, yeah, Bill. I mean, look, we'll, we'll joke about it. We joked about it beforehand when we come on here. The two-star quarterback uh, stars don't matter, Bill. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly. <laughs> All right, so here, let me give you some numbers on this. Um, and just to keep the frame of reference here, as far as like um, SEC champion quarterbacks, the lowest one since stars came about, and we're talking about the last 18, 20 years, was Jake Coker. He was a three-star, ranked number 511 overall and 14th at his position. Trask wasn't even rated in the top 2150. I think he was 2179. Now, he was a, a three-star. He, he did end up a composite three-star. But there just hasn't been a quarterback to, to win the conference like this. On the national championship level, uh, about half the champion quarterbacks have been ranked number one or number two at their position as high school prospects, and none were ranked lower than 14th. Again, Coker. Uh, I think uh, Trask was ranked 92nd as a quarterback, and I think that was almost like – a benefit of the doubt, kind of a charity ranking, because they're like, well, we see some tools. Um, but what are you going to base that on when a guy doesn't even start for his high school? So, yeah. Well, I have, to go, the, I have to go back and see if there's a history of him before he committed to Florida and after he committed to Florida, see if there was any change. I think he did and, get a bump from two to three yeah. stars. Yeah. I think he did. I, mean, I think the, the other thing is, is that you, you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, and he was a three-star, I think, in that thousand range. So it's not like this is a – unforeseen thing for somebody in that thousand range to be in the running or even win the Heisman trophy. Um, you know, but obviously it, it's a rare thing to happen. It's not something you see happen all that often. And it's why the, story, it's why the story is so good. Sure. But it's also yeah, it's the, fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And and that's the thing is that, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to necessarily defend you here, Bill, but the, uh, the, the probabilities are that eventually you're going to get tripped up if you don't have high, high, high level talent all over the field. And really, I almost think of it as like the Golden State Warriors, right? The Warriors were really, really good with Steph Curry and and Clay Thompson. But it wasn't really until Draymond Green became Draymond Green that that team really, really, really became elite. And Green was a second-round draft pick. You don't usually expect somebody who's going to be an all-NBA player to come from the second round. But the fact that you're able to find that person in the second round means you're paying him almost nothing. And within the confines of the salary cap, the team is much, much better because of it. And it's sort of the same thing when you think about recruiting that if you can take a two or a three-store guy and he turns into somebody who's just transcendent like Trask has, um, you know, it, it, it sort of bumps up the overall play of the entire group just because you found that diamond in the rough. Yeah, and, look, and, and we said when Mullen was hired or whoever, when we talked about recruiting, the stars matter. And But if you want to make up any kind of gap, you need a transcendent quarterback. And look, now, I don't think any of us viewed 
Kyle Trask as that transcendent quarterback when he was recruited because history says you, a two, three-star quarterback isn't going to be that transcendent quarterback. But if he turns into a transcendent quarterback, then all bets are off. You, you, it's, it's, we said it over and over again. We've had examples this whole episode about how transcendent Kyle Trask is playing right now. That's why we're seeing Florida going basically going to Atlanta and, and having a chance for a college football playoff spot. Yeah, it's kind of funny because everybody like the knives come out. It just it, when when Florida beat Georgia or when when Trask succeeds, but it's just still the same. JJ Watt was a two star argument. These guys are out there, but they are out there in very very limited quantities. When you look at the the players that have come in to the Florida program and made this AP All SEC team, well, the five stars make this uh, earn this recognition forty one percent of the time. Four stars earn it 11% of the time. Three stars earn it 4% of the, 4% of the time. Like Will said, it's just a numbers game. And, and, and there's, a reason, mind- was, there's a reason all the Gator fans were so excited a month ago when Demarcus Bowman transferred. <laughs> right. They don't matter until you – the stars don't matter until you get the stars. Then they matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, I'm really excited about Bowman. And I'll be honest, I wasn't that excited about Lingard, you, you know, just because he'd already been in a program and had his chance. But I digress. I'm really excited about Bowman. But, um, yeah, these guys are out there, and everybody missed him. You know who else missed him? Dan Mullen, because he didn't have an offer from, from Mississippi State either. And then he missed him again when he started Kyle Trask. But you know what? He earned his spot. Mullen found him. Mullen developed him. Mullen put him in position to win, and now it's just a love story for the ages. You know, that's the way it works sometimes. But uh, you know who the real hero is? Is Vic Sheely, the coach at Houston Baptist, because out of everybody – that guy had Kyle Trask pegged, and he almost pulled off the steal until uh, McIlwain did what – I don't know I don't know why would you would play for McIlwain. I'd probably play for Houston Baptist. But, 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 hey, you know what, man? All's well that ends well, right? Absolutely. Anything, Will? Well, all I know is that, uh, you know, we got to end this if we're talking about Stars Matter by saying – I had a tweet in my article a couple of weeks ago talking about – how Kirby Smart was, I think, 0 and 10 against teams that were ranked in the top 10. It's actually 2 and 9. So, he, you know, I went back and actually looked at the 24 composite. So, again, just more evidence that that stars do matter, but not in Georgia. And, and, and that's where I want to end that. And hey, remember this just like we've said all along, stars are elite recruiting, as defined by Steven Spurrier on national TV in 2018, having a top five class. And I would add to that or a five-star quarterback, or the historical prerequisites for winning the SEC. And that goes all the way back to the early 90s. Nobody has ever won the SEC without a top-five class or a five-star quarterback in the composite or pre-composite rated by either Wallace or Lemming. So that doesn't mean that Trask can't do it or that Mullen can't do it. The transfer portal and the changes to the game of college football, these things can have an impact. It just means it's really freaking special if it happens. It would be a real disservice to be like, I knew the stars didn't matter. No, if that happens, we celebrate these guys as history makers. And that's what I hope to write an article about. So enjoy that, it. That's, that's where I've always been with it. It was like, look, it's not normal. And that's why it would be special. That's you know, the it, point. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be, put this way, you would have to give Dan Mullen and Kyle Trask even more credit because they yes. bought history. <laughs> Right. That's the entire point of this. The reality is the reality. The task before them is the task before them. It doesn't change because we wish it away. But if they accomplish that task, man, what a special moment that would be. Bill, everybody know uh, 
you know, you, you did this research uh, at Reading Reaction. You, you're posting it there on Will's site, talking about it here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, but there's a reason you're doing it. There is. Um, man, I, you know, I've um, gone through so much the last many years and several years, and um, and uh, I've got more than I deserve. That's the truth. God's been good to me, and I want to try to give back and uh, help people in, in my community. And so I'm donating all the proceeds for these articles uh, to First Coast Women's Services here in the Jacksonville area. They are an advocacy group that helps women that are experiencing un- unplanned par- pregnancies, a lot of young women, a lot of um, socioeconomic disadvantaged women that don't have a lot of options and they come alongside these women's and they help them with with tangible care they give them education and and learn to earn programs baby showers limited sonograms advocacy in the form of some of these women don't have a place to live and they're out working the phones how can we get this person in a safe place and they'll, they'll come alongside their significant others and help them to, to be parents and have these these children and uh, so i'm going to donate all the proceeds that will's graciously donate are uh, given to me uh for these articles to this organization. If you like what you read on the articles, if um, if it resonates with you and you'd like to do something to help people in this tough and crazy year, uh, there's a link on the articles. Or, um, of course, you can read those on readandreaction.com. Or I have a GoFundMe. If you search for Gators Helping Young Mothers, again, Gators Helping Young Mothers, uh, I've set up a, a GoFundMe page to help this organization. Again, they're called First Coast Women's Services. Uh, I would just really ask you if, you, if you've got a few bucks extra give, it, it would it would make a difference in a life and save lives. I'd really appreciate it. Awesome. Some awesome stuff. And Will, the second part will be up today, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to be posting it later tonight. So um, anybody who's subscribed to the site will get an email tomorrow morning, pointing them in the direction of the uh, of the article. If you can't wait, sometime around midnight, you can probably log, log on to Read and Reaction and catch it over there. All right, all right, guys. Um, Kyle Trask, six touchdowns in the first half versus Vanderbilt. <laughs> the bar's been up. He's got to do seven next, right? <laughs> well, they'll uh, they'll run the ball against Vandy, right? They'll they'll just run it with a bunch of screens. Man, I tell you, I, if he's paying if he's playing past the third and a half quarter, I I mean, I'd be absolutely surprised. I gotta I say be more that- Richardson. Yeah, I, I gotta say this season. So when I first came on Gators Breakdown, it was like before the 2017 season, and we were arguing over whether Luke Del Rio or Felipe Frank should be the starting quarterback. And uh, you know, we had that 2017 season, and, and Malik Zaire, and you know, every you had Malik Zaire, and every Stop every him time getting PTSD. Stop it. <laughs> so every time we logged in, Dave just had this like scowl on his face because it was like, I can't believe we got to talk about, you know, a loss to Texas A&M where the best play was like an 80 yard scramble by Felipe Franks. And now you can't take the smile off his face. Like from the second they beat Georgia, he's just had a giant smile on his face. I got to be honest, this Gator team is making my day just because of uh, just because of getting to interact with Dave through the winning because it's it's. Uh, you know, winning at this sort of high level with a guy like with a guy like Dave and and all the stuff he puts into the program, it's it's awfully fun. Man, we yeah, were and I gotta to- say, y'all's background game has left me in the dust. <laughs> I got my cheap guitars <laughs> on the wall. Look at you! You got like your your modern art, and Dave got it on his swag. I I'm, I don't really feel like I've I'm not cut out for this anymore, man. You guys left me in the dust. No, no man, you, you missed it last week. I told Will when uh, Florida beat Georgia. I was like, man, this is the first time you've been on the podcast and Florida's beating Georgia. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said when we started, Bill, if if anything bad goes down, you're not back. You're not allowed back on. That's I understand. I understand. <laughs> Maybe if I just start telling everybody what they want to hear, 
it'll all work out fine. <laughs> That's not why people listen, Bill. Tell, tell the truth. <laughs> Man, it, it has come a long way. I mean, when we were all three together on a, on a consistent basis, it was, we have to talk about this putrid offense again. <laughs> being carried by this Will Muschamp defense and uh man yeah it is it is a lot it is a lot of fun to talk about now especially you know starting in 2018 and all the way to now it was fun then but this is a lot more fun yeah <laughs> it was fun then cuz it was new and we were just getting started and we were just throwing it all out there and and working our way up a bit but uh yeah this is a, this, right Bill this is a, this is a different kind of fun yeah it definitely is man you guys are like the OGs now, though, man. <laughs> well, I will come back on when uh, when we get towards the end of the series, man. I I, I give him a word on that, and uh, that'd be fun too. Absolutely. You know, any any timeline with that? Well, I'm I'm probably going to finish up part three here in the next few days. We may have a week gap uh, or so between yeah, between holidays, three. Yeah between three and four, I'm going to get cranked out as soon as I can. That next one's going to be fun though. I'm going to find out like which schools produce the best at each position. And I, you know, I'm brainstorming live on, on air here. I think what I'm going to do is compare it to the NFL draft data of the all sec players at each position from each program. And what that will show us is which uh, perhaps anyway, to a degree show us which programs uh, we're winning with more system fit guys and which ones we're winning with NFL talents. And so if you see a program that like, man, they got a lot of all SEC players, but they don't have a lot of NFL draft picks. Well, maybe that tells you that they had something going and we're able to kind of get around talent requirements in a certain way. It'd be good stuff, especially, you know, if it's if it's done around the SEC championship, I know we have about a month for that. So I don't think that I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I think the they're delaying line. faster than I am. So I yeah, should be so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. If we get close to the SEC championship and he's got one more to go, I'll just bring out the whip and start uh, start cracking it to get him right. <laughs> oh, there was one other thing, man, before we go. Um, I was going to ask you guys where do you think in the next 24 months that we see Muschamp pop up with Kurt Roper? in another job talking about how everything was somebody else's fault. Like, where is it going to be like Southern Miss? Michigan. Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs> that Harbaugh, would be perfect. Harbaugh's a must yet. Well, yeah. What, what, what if McElwain hires him as like a coordinator and they can become like this horribly unholy duo? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> well, that duo might be able to recruit, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm I mean, still so, taking yeah, my chances I mean, with Mullen. South Carolina, <laughs> South Carolina had Steve Spurrier. South Carolina had Will Muschamp. Yeah. Go, go after Jim McElwain. Come on. Complete you got to keep going. Keep You're going. all in at this point. You're not getting urban, so I mean, you got to go to McElwain. They probably don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it all depends on how much money you want to spend. I'm not sure how much money South Carolina actually has. Um, they got to pay. They got to pay Muschamp and his staff quite a bit for for letting them go. So you do wonder whether they're going to have to go the coordinator route. Um, but yeah, but yeah, but no, yeah, I mean, it's the, not the like worst, Texas the with their oil money. They sell mustard yeah. sauce, so I don't think it's quite as lucrative. <laughs> the worst so we, they'll do is Billy Napier at Louisiana. That's the worst. He, yeah, he wants the job. He wants the job. So that's that's the worst they'll do. And he's a pretty good coach. So. Yeah. Well, I, I just find it interesting. You got uh, you got McIlwain out there in the in the MAC, right? So Muschamp's probably going to end up out there somewhere too. And to be honest, I mean, all the comments about Muschamp has been that he, when he was at Florida, real class act, real great yep. guy. Same thing. Nobody in South Carolina has a has a bad thing to say about him. There are probably a few officials who who are happy to see him go. But other than that, you know, everybody to a man has always been very complimentary of 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 
who he is off the field, which makes it so frustrating when you watch the weird decisions that he makes on the field and the fact that his offenses just can't get going, you know, to, to, to sort of understand why that disconnect exists because his players love him. They love coming back to him. I mean, I know Tommy Townsend posted something today about, um, about how he's the, the coach he loves the most out of anybody he's ever had. So, um, you know, we have some fun with where he's going to go next. Yeah. But certainly you hope that the staff and Muschamp all fall, all, all end up in a place where they can be successful. Cause I do think he probably has the ability to be a pretty successful coach at a mid tier school. He just, you know, obviously didn't get the job done at Florida and you put him at a lower level SEC school like South Carolina and it's not a real big surprise he'd struggle there too. You have to go the somewhere thing, where they know what a midline is though. That's the problem. I mean, well, it, it, the thing is we'll have to see how this buy Like if he takes another head coaching job, well, he, he probably won't get paid by South Carolina anymore. You know, that's how those contracts work. I mean, heck, so, I hate to so, say it, but is he going to be an analyst at Georgia or Alabama next year? That's what I was about to say, man. I mean, you got to go yeah. someplace where the offset language doesn't kick in. Yeah, that's what Charlie Strong's doing. He's still getting paid by USF and sitting in meetings with Nick Saban every day. I mean, yeah. I mean, in all in all honesty, if I was Muschamp, I would probably look for coordinator jobs in the NFL. I, I think that mm-hmm. that's probably a place where he could probably catch on. Um, you know, where he's got enough experience as a head coach, enough experience as a defensive coordinator. Um, you get a program that or a, a team in the NFL that's looking a for pro- a change. A program. A program. <laughs> program <laughs> but but that's that's where i would go if i wanted to take the next step as a as a coach is you you go and become a defensive coordinator in the nfl and how great would that be when he takes over for belichick in like four or five years hey, y'all make me feel lazy that guy's got like 15 million dollars i'd go be on my boat <laughs> well, how much well, do you love football will much right, not that we, much we will find out you know, I, I think this really just proves that to become the head coach somewhere you got to be wired differently than other people yeah, like yeah. you're not doing it because they're paying you 15 million dollars. You're doing it because you love you love doing that particular uh, that particular task. And I mean, that should be all of our goals, right? Is that you win the lottery, and you just go to work the next day because you like what you do that much, and you're doing what sort of lights you up. So, um, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, employer, if you're listening. If I yeah, if, if I win the lottery, sorry, Channel Four, I'm, I'm doing the podcast. That's it. I mean, and there there won't be as many episodes. Sorry, guys. Hey, Dave, true story. <laughs> true, I forgot to mention this to you. I was at work one day about a year and a half ago, and this guy came up to me at work. He's one of my bosses. He's like, hey, man, after that Kentucky game, were you on a live broadcast? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. What did I say? <laughs> so they, they do listen to us, Dave. Will, Will has said many times, that's the saddest he's ever heard us. <laughs> That was a crazy day in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you, Will, Will's been to Harmonic Woods, and uh, I wasn't that one I'm talking about. Though. Yeah, the fight. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll we'll let that be for the after dark subscribers. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, that will. An hour and twenty minutes. There we go. There you go. Get his breakdown, listeners. Hour twenty of me, Bill, and Will back again. Uh, like I said, we'll get Bill back on when it's, uh, all of his research and articles are posted there at Read and Reaction. Uh, so that's where you can find Bill Sykes and his work. That's Will Miles' site, readandreaction.com. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>